We're going to invite our scripture reader, Heather Jacobo, to come up. And then after that, Pastor Steve will bring the word to us. Good morning. This is God's word from Matthew chapter 6. Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they make their faces unattractive so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Thanks, Heather. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? That's better than last service. Last service, I got one little groovy. That was all I got was a groovy. <laughs> yeah, it was not my kid, but that's funny. Yeah, Because yeah. everybody else was like, we're done with this guy. Let's get out of here. How's everybody doing? I know I just said that, but I'm really... Uh, we're going to hit a topic today that it, it's super spiritual, and it's kind of heavy and kind of deep. And so I want to give it that kind of gravitas that it has. And I think it's one of those things that we don't really talk about much uh, very often. And we probably should spend some more time talking about it. Um, and we're going to be talking about fasting. But uh, let me pray for us and then we'll get started. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to... Uh, open your word and to study it. Lord, we just pray now that you would quiet our hearts and our minds and help us to focus our attention on you. And we say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to talk about fasting. Fasting is one of the spiritual disciplines. And so what I want you to understand before we ever get, before we even get started is this, is that as one of the spiritual disciplines, the teaching about fasting is primarily for those folks that don't, that are followers of Christ. So if you are not a follower of Christ, everything that I'm going to say after what I'm about to tell you uh, is really not going to be beneficial or helpful for you at all. If you are not a follower of Christ, what you need to hear me say right now is this, is that today is the day of salvation. And so what I would like for you to do is to understand that God loves you and that Jesus died for you and that if you'll repent of your sins and receive him as Lord and Savior, that he will come into your life and he will change you and he will grant you eternal life and you get to live in communion with God. It's the whole plan. He wrote a whole book about it. It's called the Bible. And so that's a starting point. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, the one thing I want you to hear me say today is... Come to know Jesus today. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, there's a lot of things that we do, physical practices that we do, that help us or frame for us how we can be in closer communion with God. One of those things is fasting. And so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning is fasting. In my opinion, it is one of the spiritual disciplines that is overlooked, misunderstood, and misapplied perhaps more than all of the other spiritual disciplines that are out there. Let me ask you a question. And you don't have to raise your hands unless you want to. <laughs> How many of you regularly fast as part of your spiritual practice? 
I want you to think about that for a minute. How many of you regularly fast as part of your spiritual practice? Some of you were like, oh yeah, boom, every week, every day, every whatever. Some of you were like, wow, fasting, I've never really given it much thought. I don't really understand it and I don't know that much about it. So in my upbringing, fasting was a part of what we did, but it wasn't a regular part of what we did. It was something that we brought out when bad things were happening. This person is really super sick, and so we're going to pray and we're going to fast. We need a new building, and so we need finances to do that. So we're going to pray and we're going to fast. Uh, There's some big major problem, so we're going to pray and we're going to fast. And let me say, there's nothing wrong with that, because throughout Scripture, there are many times Uh, When, especially in the Old Testament, when the prophets would call the nation to fast. Uh, You can think of Jonah. uh, When when Jonah uh, went to uh, preach that message to Nineveh reluctantly, the first thing the king did was call the whole nation into a fast for repentance. And so it's, it's good for us to do that in those times when it's serious. But it's also beneficial for us to make this a regular part of our practice so that we can draw closer and nearer to God. If we can put this practice into place, however, it can help us to have that deeper, broader, richer relationship with Christ. So first, let's start with what is fasting. If we're going to be people that fast, what is fasting? A simple definition of fasting is this. It's giving up a good gift from God for the purpose of a deeper connection with God. What is a good gift from God? Well, a good gift from God is anything that is beneficial or enjoyable to you that is not sinful. We talked a lot about today in our singing and in our call to worship how God is the sustainer and the provider of everything that we have. These are the good gifts of God. It's our housing, it's our food, it's our clothing, it's our jobs, it's our finances, it's all of those things that God gives us. Those are the good gifts that God gives us. The good gifts that he doesn't give us are acts that bring us joy but would be sinful in nature. And if you're setting aside a sinfully, a sinful, uh, yeah, I'll get it, it's English, If you are setting aside something in your life that is sinful, that's not fasting. That's called repentance. That's when you have said to God, I'm sorry for this, and I know that this is sinful, and so I'm going to turn away from that. That's repentance. What we're talking about this morning in fasting is giving away or pausing something that is a good gift from God. Throughout Scripture and uh, To be honest with you, throughout every religion in the world when talking about fasting, what they're talking about is food. Food. When I heard that uh, today I was going to get to speak about fasting, I was super stoked about that. uh, Because one of the things that it's one of the spiritual disciplines that... um, that really uh, resonates with me more than any. Now that may not, I may not look like I skipped too many meals. Okay, I got a few smatterings. This morning that was dead silent. I was like, oh man, I must really be fat. <laughs> they were afraid to laugh. They were afraid to make a joke about it. Yeah, I, I don't miss too many meals, man. I, I like it and I enjoy food. Don't you enjoy food? I enjoy food. That's one of the good gifts that God gives us. And he's given some people some really uh, great talents 
of uh, putting all the different foods together that make it even that much more spectacular. And so fasting is setting aside. Throughout scripture, it's all about food. And if you really think about it, it's the one thing that uh, you, you just absolutely can't do without. At some point, you're going to have to eat something, right? And so when we set it aside uh, for that opportunity to spend that time with God, uh, it's powerful for us. So there's several types of fasts uh, in the Bible. I'm talking about how we, uh, it, it, types of fasting. Uh, the first one is a total fast. That's no food and no water. That one is tough. Anybody in here ever done a total fast? Couple, couple of you have done it. Uh, I've, on it. I've never done a total fast. No food, no water. I mean, I sleep every night. That's kind of that. That's why we call breakfast breakfast. You know that? You guys will catch on. I tell jokes sometimes. Mostly they're not funny, but only to me. I've, I've never done a total fast with the purpose of spiritual aspects behind it. There are some famous folks in the Bible that have done some total fasts and some really long ones, supernaturally. Moses, for instance, 40 days, no food, no water. That's supernatural. If you go 40 days without food and water, you're in trouble. Your body's not going to handle that well. Uh, Jesus, 40 days, no food, no water. There's others. Those are supernatural. Now, you can do a total fast for a day. You could probably make it. I mean, you will make it. Uh, three days, it's going to get really tough, and you should be careful. Those are supernatural fasts when God is uh, working in your life in a big supernatural way. Secondly, there's a partial fast. These are types of foods that we set aside. You can think about uh, drinking juice and water only during those fasts. Um, A good example of this in Scripture would be Daniel, uh, when they're first brought before the folks and... and, um, they're told, uh, you guys are going to be uh, special um, uh, scientists and so forth for the king. And, and so we want you to eat all, you get to eat all this really great food. And you remember Daniel said, well, we're not going to eat that because that would violate what God has asked us to do. But we will take vegetables and water. Uh, and if you'll give us that, we'll promise you that we'll be healthier than everybody else. And of course, God blesses that. Uh, and they do that. That's kind of a partial fast. That doesn't mean that Daniel ate that way his entire life. Um, I'm sure that there were moments where he ate really good stuff more than just vegetables. Um, if you don't know, uh, vegetables are not my favorite thing. So that would be a real rough one for me if I said, yeah, man, just let me get a, I guess we could put it in a blender. Give me all the celery and kale that you can have, but just shove it in that blender and then I'll drink it. And then there's non-food fasts. The one that's really mentioned about non-food fasts in Scripture is physical intimacy. Uh, Peter tells us that uh, when you do that as a married couple, um, that you should come back together uh, quickly. And that's uh, a separating of the physical intimacy for a spiritual purpose. Uh, the, the other ones that I have mentioned here, entertainment, electronics, social media, etc. Uh, those are things that we have adapted here in the 21st century uh, where we're doing those things. Uh, setting those things aside, and they're beneficial, um, no doubt about it, but I will say, um, and I mean this with all uh, grace and sincerity, if you're a regular faster of social media and electronics and entertainment, um, it's probably not as uh, powerful, if you will, as getting rid of something like food. 
Now, I'm not telling you not to uh, fast all of those electronics and uh, social media and entertainment, but you should probably do it more than a fast. You should probably uh, not be messing with that stuff much at all. Um, and that's just from the cheap seats. It doesn't really have anything to do with what we're talking about other than uh, if you spend any time on social media, oof, there's all kinds of craziness out there. So let's talk about why we fast. Why should we fast? Uh, I'm going to give you a list of uh, nine uh, things here from the Bible, uh, fasts that are found in the Bible. I didn't come up with this list. A man named Elmer Towns did in his book, Fasting uh, for Spiritual Breakthrough. Uh, If you want to check that out, I recommend it. It's a good book. Um, When we think about fasting, ultimately the goal is to bring God glory and to draw closer to him. We want to bring him glory and we want to draw closer to him. So the thing about fasting is, uh, and we'll dive a little bit deeper into this in a moment, but we always immediately think about the physicality of fasting. When we think about prayer, another spiritual discipline, we think about the spiritual nature of it because we're praying, right? But when we think about fasting, our immediate uh, thought process is is the physical. Oh, this is going to be physically difficult. Oh, this is going to be whatever. It is a spiritual discipline because what we're after here is not the physicality of it. We are after the spiritual aspect of it, of drawing closer to God and bringing him glory, now, this, nine, this list of nine fasts that I'm going to mention to you, and I'll just touch briefly on each one of them as we go through, uh, are in Scripture, and there is personal gain for these. Just like when we pray and ask God for the things that we want, there is personal gain there as well. But ultimately, when we pray and when we talk to God, it's not so much about us getting anything from Him. It's about us realigning our thought process to what God wants to do for us right? That's what prayer is about. Fasting is the same way. Is there going to be physical, uh, physicality to it? Yes. Am I hoping to get something out of it for myself? Yes. Is it ultimately for God's glory? If it's not, as Jesus said in this passage, you have already received your reward. Do you follow me? So here are nine things, nine fasts that are found in the Bible. You see the first one up here now. Fasting for physical breakthrough. Uh, The the best example that I can tell you from that one is freedom from addiction. Uh, There's other physical things that are a part of our bodies that we can, uh, but I'm not talking about sickness and health. I'm just talking about uh, things that we need to be done with. Um, and so freedom from addiction. Uh, the passage that there, uh, Matthew 17, uh, if you're f- familiar with that, that's when Jesus makes the statement about the mountain. Uh, if I had faith, the grain of mustard seed, I could say to the mountain, move, and the mountain would move. And so it's expressing that faith through the process of fasting, asking God for that physical breakthrough and removal uh, and freedom from that addiction, whatever that happens to be. The second kind of fast that's mentioned in Scripture, uh, uh, fasting to solve a problem. The passage there is Ezra. Ezra was uh, a a contemporary at the same time with Nehemiah. You guys remember what Nehemiah did? Nehemiah left Babylon. He was rebuilding the city. Uh, I always, uh, there's an image I saw one time when I was a kid, like a piece of art that had Nehemiah with a trowel in one hand. For those masons in the room, you know what I'm talking about? And a sword in the other. Because he was fighting off the enemy and he was rebuilding the walls at the same time. 
And so in that, Ezra, who is the spiritual leader that comes back uh, to Jerusalem at that time, he is calling the people into this fast so that they can feel and experience the power of God to solve these problems that are in front of them. Problems that are of a spiritual nature, problems that are of a physical nature. He needs some help with that. And so Ezra is there for those things. Third, fasting for spiritual revival. Boy, do we need that. I was thinking about, uh, we sang the song, Restore Us Again. And you know, that's super powerful. It's so easy for us when we... It's so easy for us, especially when you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, to get complacent and in a rut, if you will, with what we do, the things that we do. We come to this building, this time, we say these things. You know, in the past, we drove a van to a school and pulled all of that stuff out and set it all up and did the thing and then broke it all down and put it all back and all of that's the stuff that we do. And we get into that routine and we really think we're doing something. We really think that we've got something going there, you know? Well, this is it. This is what we're doing. But we're missing all of it. The whole point of the Sermon on the Mount is that all of the stuff that we do is stuff that we do. What God is interested in is what's happening inside here. And so we need to focus on that. Maybe what we need is to fast for spiritual revival. And when we talk about spiritual revival, we like to talk about other people. We need revival in this nation. We need revival in this church. Both of those things are true, but you know where that starts? Revival in you and revival in me. So maybe we need to fast for spiritual revival. Number four, fasting to overcome negative emotions. You know, one of the things that the church... uh, dismissed for centuries is emotions. You know, we, we are, God created us to be feeling people. We feel things, positive things, negative things, emotions. And sometimes those negative emotions that we feel can overwhelm us, can overcome everything that we've got going on. And so maybe what we need to do is fast to overcome those negative emotions that are impacting us. Number five, I think, fasting to provide for the needy. Fasting to provide for the needy. This comes in two ways. Fasting, in other words, I'm going to do without this food so that I can give it to somebody who is needy. Fasting to, for the needy. But then there's also fasting for the needy so that we understand that need. We have an embarrassment of riches in this country and in this church. And the things that we do inside of this room, which are, and even if you're joining online, is worshiping God, hopefully drawing us closer to him so that when we walk outside of these walls, we do what God has asked us to do. James tells us that pure religion is to clothe the naked, feed the hungry, comfort the fatherless. All of these are the things that we're supposed to be doing. Maybe what we need to do is fast so that we get back into that frame of mind that we provide for the needy. 
Number F. These are lettered on my paper. Fasting for insight to discover God's will. So I, I've got experience with this one for sure. Has God ever called you to something and you're like, number one, I don't want to do that? Or has God ever called you to something that's vague and impromptu? You guys have heard my story. I'll tell it again because not everybody's heard it. We were in Florida. I was uh, planted a church, pastoring that church. We'd been there for about 10 years. It became very obvious to me that God was calling us elsewhere. You guys remember this story? And so we began to pray and fast and think about what God wanted us to do. And God said, hey, you know what? I need you to go to the Northwest. I was like, what am I going to do up there? I guess I'll just plant another church. That's what I'll do. And so we moved up here. And, of course, you guys know, uh, my wife, MJ, she's from here. There's connections here. We didn't just dive in head deep without any place to land, although we did end up living on my brother-in-law's couch for 13 days. But God provided for us all along the way. But my expectation was is that when I got here, I would start a church, plant a church. And so I came to a church that was like-minded, uh, that was meeting in this building called Martha Lake Baptist. Actually, at the time, it was First Baptist Church of Martha Lake. And I thought, okay, this will be a good place to land, and then I can get to work and start planting a church. Well, that was how many years ago now? Eight years ago? Still haven't planted a church because God wanted us to do something different. And so sometimes you just have to try to find God's will. And one of the ways that we do that, and when I say God's will, understand this. I know exactly what God's will for your life is. God's will for your life is to tell other people about Jesus. That's God's will for your life. How that works out in your life and how that works out in my life, that's different for each and every one of us. And God can show you those details and the direction that he wants you to go and the place that he wants you to land. But it's uh, through talking to him. And one of the ways that you can get that clarity is through fasting. The story that's here is in Acts chapter 9. That's uh, Luke and his, I mean, uh, Paul and his group of friends trying to figure out which direction they're going to go, which way they're going to take the gospel. Notice that they're going to take the gospel. That's not the question. It's where and how and to whom. So dig into that insight. Um, Whatever the next one is. Fasting for physical healing and health. I've used Daniel here as that context, but uh, understand that uh, fasting does have physical uh, ramifications to it. But that's not the point of it. This is, in this context, we're talking about healing. I am physically ill and I am not healthy. And so I'm going to fast and beg God for healing. The next one is fasting for influential testimony. Matthew chapter 3, this is in the context of John the Baptist, fasting for influential testimony. We like to think about Christianity as being one-on-one, and that's absolutely the way it, it, it is. But there is also a time and a place 
for those people that God has called into influential places so that they can speak loud and open and for the entire population. So you can think about some people with some influential ministries uh, in life. Some successful, some not so successful. I think about Billy Graham. A lot of people came to know Jesus Christ through those Billy Graham revivals. But you know, as a result of his work and testimony, he actually ended up in the White House a lot of times, talking to presidents, speaking the truth of God into their hearts and ears. Fasting can be for influential testimony. Finally, the ninth one, fasting from protection from evil. The passage here that we're talking about is Esther. Esther, of course, um, Haman was, had decided that he was going to destroy all of the Jewish people. And uh, Esther was in a place of influence. And so uh, her uncle, uh, Mordecai, asked her to go and speak to the king. She said, you know, you're asking me to take my own life in my own hands. If I go and speak to the king without having been called to the king, he could kill me. That's the law. And Mordecai told her, well, he said, you can do it or somebody else can do it, but God's going to take care of it. And so she said, okay, I'll do it, but I want, I want you to fast. I want you to call all the people to fast and pray for me. And I will have my group of people, my uh, assistants, pray and fast. And I will pray and fast. And then she makes this really bold statement. And I'm going to go and I'm going to see the king. And if I perish, I perish. If I die, I die. She just trusted God that he was going to take care of her, knowing that he would or could provide protection from evil. So remember, though, that the ultimate end of fasting, all of these things have self-oriented ideas behind them. But ultimately, uh, fasting is for God's glory. We are the beneficiary of being drawn into closer communion with him as a result of that fasting, even though our immediate purposes might be self, for self or for others, but not primarily for his glory. But ultimately, we need to come back to that point. It's for his honor and for his glory. We'll talk some more about that here in just a moment. So then, how should we fast? How should we fast? Remember I told you at the beginning that I was super stoked about this passage because I like to study fasting. Uh, I've read tons and tons of books on fasting uh, because I'm still waiting to read the book that has the magic bullet that tells me everything there is to know about fasting. Have you ever done that? Have you ever, there's something that you really love or that you really want or that you really desire. And so you read all the books that you can about it. And then somebody comes up and says, hey, here's a really great book on this topic. And you're like, awesome, I'm going to read it. And you read it and you're like, well, I know all of that. That's not life changing. I didn't do anything. So that's the way fasting is for me. I read tons of books on it all the time. Anytime somebody says to me, hey, you should check this book out on fasting. It was life changing. I read it and nine times out of 10, I get the same thing when I'm done. That was really great information, but it's all stuff that I already knew. And so I'm waiting. I keep waiting for this thing to come that's going to show me uh, all there is to know about fasting. So I was talking to the Greys about it one time. 
And we were talking about this, and, and Aaron Lynn said to me, have you ever thought that maybe there is no magic bullet to this, that you just need to, like, do it? And I thought, wow, that's really powerful. That's really powerful. You know, there's, when we think about those books, we read the books, and, they, and here's all the spiritual aspects of fasting, and we say, yes, amen. And then you read another book, and it's all the physical aspects of it, and it turns out it's basically just a diet book that's thrown the Holy Spirit in there once in a while. And we say, wow, that's really cool. I mean, I get it. But I was always looking for something else, something bigger, something, some kind of magic thing, some kind of rational, um, not rational, some, here's a step-by-step process on how to do this and how to take care of this and how to make it work. And it's not there. And then as you begin to study scripture, which is probably where you should start instead of books about fasting, you realize that fasting is not commanded in the Bible, but it is assumed. You can go through the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation. There is no command, thou shalt fast. But it is assumed, Jesus here in this passage, and when you fast, again, this isn't a command. In Luke chapter 5, in the context of uh, the uh, woman at the well, uh, he, they, they, the, the disciples come back from the city and they say, hey, we've got some food. And he says, I'm not hungry. Uh, and they said, wow, did, did you already eat and stuff? And he says, I have food that you know not of. And then they're like, wow, did somebody give him some food? Did somebody take care of him? And he said, listen, guys, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Right? And so fasting is assumed, but it's not commanded. We're never commanded anywhere in Scripture. In Luke's Gospel, 535, he's, uh, he says, um, they will fast. The, the apostles, the, the uh, Pharisees come to him and say, hey, why does uh, John the Baptist uh, apostle, uh, disciples, they fast, and the Pharisees' uh, disciples, they fast, but you're uh, disciples, they feast all the time and eat and drink. And he says, well, when the bridegroom's with them, then that's when the party's happening. But there will come a day when the bridegroom is gone. And in those days, they will fast. Again, it's not a command, it's an assumption. So I'm getting you to understand that fasting is not a command, but it is assumed that you will do it. How should we fast? First, do it. Secondly, Fasting is not for show. In the first century, there was a practice called didac. It still happens today, I guess. There's people that are still doing it. Didac is a ritualized fasting that takes place twice a week, either Wednesday or Friday. For those of you that grew up in the high churches, you might remember that uh, Friday is a day when we don't eat meat, we eat fish, right? That's a ritualized fasting. In my studies, I found that the Pharisees, in practicing the didac, instead of doing it on Wednesdays and Fridays, would do it on Mondays and Thursdays. The reason that the Pharisees did it on Mondays and Thursdays is because Mondays and Thursdays were market days, and they had a bigger audience to show off their piety. This is what Jesus is addressing right here when he says, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. So fasting is not for show. Now that doesn't mean that fasting, that people can't know that you fast. When we call a corporate fast, everybody knows that we're fasting. Because we're calling everybody to fast. 
And so when he says that it's not for show, again, just like almost everything else here in the Sermon on the Mount, it's not about what we're actively doing. It's about the motivations in our heart. Especially when you're fasting for something that's important and you ask somebody else for assistance in that. Hey, I'm going to be fasting for this situation. Can you pray with me about this situation? Maybe they'll even join you in that fast. That's not for show. That's for the motivation, which is to seek God's will or to have God take care of something. Like all the spiritual disciplines, it is a private matter between you and God, but this doesn't mean that other people can't know. So it's, again, the motivation. So I'm going to tell you now uh, about my fasting process. And I don't do this to to say anything other than to say this is a possibility for you if you are not a faster, someone who fasts. I fast from Saturday evening at whatever time I stop eating. Sometimes that's really late at night because I like to snack when I watch movies. Do you guys like to snack when you watch movies? I do too. But whatever time I stop eating on Saturday, that's when I stop. That's when my fast starts. And I don't break the fast again until I break the fast with all of you here when we take the Lord's Supper together. The purpose of that is so that when we come into this room and we're going to, for me, and we worship the great God of the universe, that my frame of mind is not about myself or satisfying me, but it's about his glory and his honor. Fasting, then, is for God's glory. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31, whether you eat or whether you drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. And most of the time when we think about that, we think about that in the context of everything that I do should be for God's glory. And that's correct. But notice he says when, uh, whether eating or drinking, or we could also say whether we're not eating or whether we're not drinking, we're doing that for the glory of God. Anything that is only solely motivated by self is of no value. There's an entire book called Ecclesiastes that's about that. Anything that is for God's glory and for his purpose, we are going to benefit from that just by being in his presence and with his honor. doesn't mean he's always going to give you what you want. It means he's going to give you what you need because the fasting is for his glory. Finally, Fasting is a spiritual discipline. When we're fasting, we're feasting. Let me say it to you again. When you're fasting, you're feasting. Just like Jesus told the disciples, my food is to do the will of God. My food is to do the will of God. I have food that you do not know. Fasting is feasting. Yes, I'm not going to eat all the foods that I love or I'm not going to eat food at all for this period of time and for this day. And so I'm in some kind of suffering and we're hoping that maybe, you know, through all of that, that God will see how, uh, you know, earnest we are for whatever it is that we're asking for. And there's a part of it to that, but it's more than that. It's to stop and stop fulfilling the flesh and self And to let God do what he's going to do and to focus your attention on what he's already doing. And in that, we will be sustained. 
we will be sustained because when we're fasting, we're feasting. When we go without that food or the other good gifts that God gave us, we're replacing that with feasting on the food of the word of God and God's will. That's where we need to think about when we think about fasting. So here's the big picture. This is what I want you to get. True fasting, to understand this, true fasting will draw you closer to God. True fasting will draw you closer to God. Remember, it's a spiritual practice, not a physical practice. So I'm going to ask you to do something, and then I'm going to ask you a couple of questions to wrap this all up. I'm going to ask you now to make fasting a part of your spiritual life. I don't know how that looks for you specifically. You're going to have to work that out with God. But I'm going to ask you to make fasting a part of your spiritual life. In doing that, I want you to ask yourself this question. What has captured my attention and my heart? We're talking about setting aside food in fasting. We also talked about other things that could be fasted, non food items, non-food subjects. One of the things that happens to us is that even the good gifts of God can, be, can take such a place in our life that we actually idolize them and lift them up higher and in front of God. And that's idolatry. And some of that needs to be removed from our life permanently. And some of it needs to be put in its proper place. And I'm not talking about sinful things. I'm talking about things that can be good or are good. I also grew up in a tradition that valued a particular version of the Bible. And in my humble opinion, they lifted that version of the Bible up so high that it became a point of worship. It became an idol. Is there anything wrong with it? No, it's the Bible. But it took precedence over everything else and became the center. And it was that version of the Bible. Do you see? I'll say something that's, that some of you are going are gonna to not be happy with, but it's true. Some of you worship your children. Some of you are so concerned and so everything with everything that your kids have got going on that that becomes the center of all that there is. And you are beginning to idolize and worship your children. Does that mean you shouldn't love your children? No. Does that mean they shouldn't be in soccer and basketball and all the things that you've got them in? No. But when that becomes the priority of your family and Christ is not the center of your family, they have become an idol in your household. My email address is jason at soundcitybiblechurch.com. I stole that joke from Aaron and just changed the name on it. All right. What's captured your attention and your heart? Is it God or is it something else? Finally, what is it that you need to set aside so that you can focus on God? What is that good gift that God has given you that you love so much that you need to take and set that aside so that you can focus your attention on God? What is it that you need to set aside? So understand that true fasting will draw you closer to God, and I'm asking you to make fasting 
a part of your spiritual life. Here in just a moment, we're going to go to the Lord's table together. Another spiritual discipline for us to commune together and with him to celebrate the greatest provision that he ever gave us, his death, burial, and resurrection so that we might have a relationship and be in communion with him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for everything that you provide for us. We thank you for every good gift that you've given us. We thank you for your son who died on the cross for us. Lord, we're so thankful that that gospel takes care of our hereafter, but also our here and now. And Lord, we are so grateful for that good news. Father, we pray that our hearts would be drawn closer to you so that our actions might follow in suit. And Lord, we say these things in Jesus' name. Amen.